So in my devotions, um, I've been, and there's a lot of people in the church that are doing this with me, is I've been reading through the Bible. Uh, in, it's actually a two-year plan, and I read a little bit of Old Testament, a little bit of New Testament. I go back and forth, and it's a chronological reading of the Bible, and there's other people that have been joining me uh, in this. And guess what? I just got to the end of the book of Revelation just this past week. And the book of Revelation, most people know something about that. It's the apocalypse. It's the revealing of uh, God's uh, end times and what's going to happen. It's the revealing of Christ and, and all that's going to happen at the end of the age. And it looks to a time, in Revelation chapter 21, it looks to a time when there, this is what it says. It says, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. And God will, God will create a new order or new world order. But here's the reality check. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, in this world, meaning in this age, you will have trouble. And he meant all of us, trouble and hardship come upon all people. Um, doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. Everybody experiences, uh, in one form or another, different uh, types of illness, uh, loss, failure, calamity, and so on. So today we're going to look at a particular kind of hardship. It's none of those things I just mentioned. We're going to look at uh, what I would consider maybe the most difficult hardship that I've ever faced in my life, I'm talking about persecution, is when you're bullied or persecuted. Um, I looked up in the dictionary, the Merriam-Webster, just kind of curious, so, you know, persecute, this is what it means, to annoy or trouble someone persistently. And that means not just that people are annoying, but that they on purpose want to annoy you or trouble you or pester you in some way. When someone is persecuting you, it means they've really got it in for you. They're tormenting you. They want to destroy your peace of mind. Um, they, they may want to damage your reputation, ruin your livelihood, sabotage your plans, or end your life. And I would argue that persecution is perhaps the most intense form of suffering that we can ever experience, at least on an emotional level. Now, when I was a kid, I experienced bullying. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I was maybe six or seven years old, and there was a kid at school that was bigger than me, and he would come up to me and push me down, and he was a bit of a bully. And I remember my dad was a policeman. My dad fought in World War II. He was in the Navy, and my dad was a man's man, and he was not going to have um, a son be a sissy. And I remember my dad teaching me how to fight. He would put his hands out, and I would, you know, I would, I would do that, and I would hit his, hit his hands until my knuckles bled. Seriously. My mother didn't like that. And so... What's interesting, my dad said, the next time that kid bothers you, you punch him in the nose. That's exactly what he said, punch him in the nose. Guess what? Well, the next time that kid bothered me, I don't think I punched him in the nose, but I hit him, and he never bothered me again. I came home, and my dad said, and my mom was there, he said, did that kid bother you? I said, yeah, but I hit him, and he, and, and he went away, and I can't remember if he cried or not, and my dad says, good for you, son, and my mother was heart-stricken. She's like, no, don't teach your son to fight. But you know what? I stood up for myself in that point. And I'm not saying that's the right way to handle it. But I do know what it, like, it feels like to be bullied. But I've never experienced 
profound uh, anger or hatred until I became a pastor. Really interesting. I mean, I, just like you, I've had people maybe where maybe I wasn't their favorite person, but I mean, the most venomous things that I've ever heard um, or had done to me have happened when I became a pastor, particularly a lead pastor. Uh, politicians, for instance, become a target when they run for office. So a politician, they're living as private citizens. Nobody knows them. They're not on TV. Then they decide to run for office, and then guess what? Suddenly now, they're under scrutiny. They're the target of investigation, conspiracy theories, and so on. And so what's interesting, as soon as you are in public life of any form, even if it's in a sphere like a local church, you do become a target. If you're looking for enemies, if you don't have enough enemies, just become a leader. Just accept a leadership position where you've got to make decisions that affect the lives of others, and you will become a target. And sometimes someone's going to persecute you. But what I have noticed is the persecution for me has not come usually from people outside the church. It usually comes from within the church itself. The one thing that I've had to call to mind, and I, I mean this, and this, is, this really goes to our core values as well. Pursue peace is one of our core values is I know that when I'm being persecuted, that I have to remember these four words. God is my defender. He is my defender. I don't have to allow it to destroy me. I don't have to uh, let it cause me to become vindictive and angry and mean in return. Instead, the way the Lord has been teaching me to handle it when people want to beat up on me, is I try to learn from it. And I ask God, God, show me what it is you want to teach me through this. Uh, I read a book years ago. Um, the guy's name, I think, was Calvin Miller. It was published in the late 1970s, I believe, and it was called Well-Intentioned Dragons. And it talked about people who may or may not be well-intentioned in the church, but they're like dragons. They breathe fire, you know. And they're, they're kind of scary people. And he said, you know what's interesting about that? He said, the dragons in your life, the people that pursue you and are after you and they want to bring you down, he said, sometimes you can learn your best lessons from those people because they will tell you the truth that the people who love you may not want to tell you. And so for me, I always have to put myself into that place where I go, God, you're my defender, and, and you will defend the truth of the situation. I don't need to take things into my own hands. And so I know that some of you that are watching and listening uh, to this message, you know what it is like to suffer someone's uh, hatred, um, their bullying, their persecution. Um, maybe it's that neighbor from hell, uh, as we sometimes like to say, who constantly torments you for a whole variety of reasons. We had a, um, we've got a neighbor across the street, uh, and he's in his 80s. He's probably close to 90 right now. And his next-door neighbor... Um, was a, a single guy who was a party animal, and he would blast his music. And our poor neighbor across the road, you know, he, he just couldn't take it. And I know that, you know, he was the kind of neighbor that he thought, I'm not going to put up with this, and he'd go bang on their door, and he would tell them off. Well, they didn't like that too much. And so what we noticed is there would be, you know, words exchanged back and forth, and there would be some kind of yelling, 
remember one time we looked across his lawn and somebody had poured some noxious liquid or something all over his lawn and ruined his front lawn. We noticed one time, too, his truck on the, on the passenger side, somebody keyed it like that, just a big scratch. And, you know, most of us, you know, uh, knew probably who it was. That's the neighbor from hell. What do you do in a situation like that? Or maybe it's somebody at work who's constantly harassing you and making your workday a misery. And there's a little image here that, that you might be able to relate to. It can happen at work. Or maybe nobody's bothering you at all. Maybe it is just a, another kind of a difficult situation. Maybe it's an illness that is plaguing you or job loss or financial stress. or It could be a, a variety of things, burnout. So what we call these things often are existential threats. Um, by the way, in 2019, do you know what the word of the year was, 2019? Existential. Uh, it suddenly became the word of the year because the idea is a threat to your existence is something like existen it's an existential threat. And so that's what these things are, where they threaten maybe our lives, our livelihoods, our reputations, our peace of mind, that sort of thing. And so if you don't remember anything else from this message, I hope that you'll remember this. When under threat, when you're under threat, if you're facing an existential threat, deepen your devotion to God. And in this message, I want to show you why that's a good thing to do and how to let go and let God in difficult times. Now, this series of messages is called Words We Live By. And we've asked uh, people in our congregation, would you share with us a favorite scripture that you've got? And Erna Fuchs, and I think her picture may come up on the screen, Erna Fuchs in our church, uh, one of our senior adults, she um, sent me this. This is what she wrote to me. And this was about Psalm 86, verses 11 to 12, which I'm going to talk about. She said, these verses speak to me of my need of asking God to teach me so I can see my path clearly and true, and for God to give me an undivided heart so I can truly worship and praise him. She said, this puts me in a place so I can glorify him from my whole heart without any doubts. So here's the verse she was talking about, where David, in Psalm 86, he's being persecuted severely. He fears for his safety, for his life. And right in the middle of that psalm, and this is what Erna was talking about, he said, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may hear your name. At the beginning of this psalm, David is fearing for his life, and he cries out to God for mercy and protection. And this is what he says. I'm going right back to verse 1. He says, Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Now, he wasn't really poor and needy. He was a king, but he felt that way. He felt vulnerable. He said, Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. And then he goes on in verse 3, he says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. So David is in obvious distress as he writes this song. 
But it isn't until verse 14 that we learn the reason for his anxiety, and that is because he had enemies surrounding him. He calls himself poor and needy. He says things like, hear me, O God, and answer me. Guard my life. Save me. Have mercy on me. Hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. Have you ever done that? The trouble that he was experiencing, again, it wasn't an illness. It wasn't some failure, some loss, or other types of of calamity. It was persecution, fear of his enemies. Certain people who read the Psalms of David, and there's other ones like this that David wrote. I actually have heard people say, you know, it looks like David is suffering from some form of mental illness, like paranoia. But we have to keep in mind that David was the king of Israel. He was in a position of leadership over the people of God, and he was a target. So David was not just paranoid. He had real enemies. Before he became king, what was David's life like? Well, where did he come from? He was the youngest of seven sons, and he was a shepherd. He was an obscure person. He wasn't famous, anything like that. And his life was relatively tranquil. Sometimes he would have to defend his sheep from maybe the lion or the bear, that kind of thing. But his life was simple and relatively peaceful until Samuel the prophet anointed him to become the king. He found himself in the service of King Saul, whom God had now rejected. King Saul becomes jealous of David, and he begins to pursue David before David's king, but he, because David is a threat to Saul's throne, as far as Saul is concerned, and he pursues David. Now David is a target because he is perceived as a leader and a, kind of like a folk hero in Israel. And then David, David gains more prominence and more power. Eventually, he ascends the throne. At one point in his life, he makes a really bad choice. He commits adultery with a woman called Bathsheba, and I think you know the story. And all kinds of horrible things followed from that. And God's judgment comes upon him in that moment. Some bad things begin to happen in David's life and in his family. And that's why in verse 5, I think that's, you know, why David says, you are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. David knows that sometimes the trouble he's experiencing might be uh, his own fault. And we know the story of David's son, many of us, uh, his son Absalom, who revolted against his dad. He revolted against him. And David, again, had to run for his life as a king. He became a fugitive. And that happened because David made some wrong choices in his life. And I know some of you have made bad choices, and you're thinking, you know, God's punishing me. God's after me. This is my bad karma for the bad things I did or the bad choices I made. And you know what? The fact of the matter is, if that's happening in your life because you made bad choices and you're suffering for it and you're reaping what you've sown, God, if you call out to him, God will be there for you. God's love will not fail you. He will forgive you, and he will set you back on a right path, and he will show you his way. And that's what David knew. You see, when you, for David, 
because he became a king uh, and he was a leader of the people, there was more expected of him. I know for me as a pastor, there's more expected of me than there is of the average person in the congregation. People tend to put a leader on a pedestal in terms of their expectations. I can't get away with a lot of stuff. You know, if I just lose my temper and I start swearing at people, you know, or if, if I was to push somebody or hit somebody uh, and just lost control, I would lose, I would lose my reputation and I would lose respect. There's more expected. I think that's the way it should be. But David, you know, he had his failures. And he knew that people would be less forgiving of him because he was in that position of authority. And he knew that persecution just came with leadership. And so now David is under attack from his adversaries, and he's not sure where else to turn. He turns to God. And this is what we see in verses 6 to 7. He says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. In the day of my trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. David is praying for mercy and for deliverance. And then he says, Lord, I'm going to call to you because I know you'll answer me. In your time, you'll answer me. So we see in Psalm 86 that people who trust God like David are not spared from trouble, we're not spared from hardship, we're not spared from adversity. But the one thing that we have is we have God with us if we'll call out to him. And that may be why David, in verses 8 to 10, writes this little uh, poem of praise. He says this, Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. You know, there were a lot of gods running around. They were fake gods. They weren't real gods. There's only one God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. David knew that, but there were so-called gods, and he said, there's no God like you. All the nations you have made will come one day and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great, and you do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. So he gives praise to the God above all gods. In the midst of all his trouble, David still finds a way to praise God. How about you? What do you do when you're in trouble? What do you do when you feel like everything is closing in on you? Do you still have a heart of gratitude? Do you still have a mouth that's filled with praise? Even though David is lamenting his trials, you know what? People say, you know, when you feel afraid and you feel anxiety and you feel sad, how can you get praise? You can't. Oh, yes, you can. Because praise is a command. Hallelujah. Praise God. The Apostle Paul is in jail. He writes a letter to the Christians of Philippi. We call it Philippians. He's in jail for his faith. And what does he do? He says, rejoice. That's a test of our faith, folks. Can I still rejoice and can I still give praise to God even in the worst of times? And right on the heels of that, you know, psalm of praise in verses 8 to 10, this is what David says. This is the key. And this is what Erna Fuchs was talking about. He says, teach me your way, your way, O Lord. 
and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart, undivided heart, that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God. I will praise you with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. And it's like David is saying, no matter what people may say about me, no matter what people may do to me, no matter how bad it gets, God, I'm going to remain true to you. I want to be like you. I want to know your way. Because, Lord, you are gracious. You are compassionate. You are forgiving. And I want to walk in your steps. And I'm not going to let my enemies defeat me. And guess what? You know how to let your enemies defeat you when they hate you and they persecute you? Hate them back. And persecute them back. They win. Well, maybe they don't win. But you don't win. Everybody loses. So when David was under threat, what did he do? He deepened his devotion to God. Teach me your way, O Lord. And I'll walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart, Lord, that I may fear your name. So that's what Psalm 86 teaches us. That in times of distress, we should turn to God. I mean really turn to God. With thanksgiving, with words of praise, cry out to him for mercy. Yes. But deepen our devotion to him. David did that in two ways. This is how he deepened his devotion to God. Number one, he prayed. He said, in my time of trouble, O oh Lord, I will pray to you, for you will answer me. That's the first thing you do. Pray. But then he did a second thing. He came before God in submission, in surrender, when he said, teach me your way, O oh Lord. Give me an undivided heart. David submits himself to God, to his way, and to his word. Teach me your way, and I will walk in your truth. What's the way of God? It's the way of mercy and grace and love towards enemies. And he's saying, Lord, I want that same attitude. Why was David called a man after God's own heart? He wanted the heart of God in him. And so here's the lesson for us. We need to resist the temptation of becoming hateful and vindictive towards those who seek us harm. We should say, God, I want to walk in your ways. I want to be like you. You are compassionate. This is what verse 15 says. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness. I want to be like that. If God is like that, then we should strive to be like him. And I, I have a particular affinity for David because he knew what it was to experience persecution to have enemies surrounding him who want to destroy him. He knew what it was like to be mistreated and betrayed and so on. But I love how he responded to it. There's one story, and this is not even in my notes. I was just thinking of it. There was a guy called Shemaiah uh, in the Old Testament. And when, when David's son Absalom 
revolted against him and David is fleeing for his life, this guy called Shimei calls down curses upon David. You're a loser, David. You know, and he's just saying all kinds of bad stuff. Later, when David resumes his throne again, and his, unfortunately his son Absalom is dead. Um, you know, I think it was Joab, the commander, wanted to slay this guy, Shimei, and David said no. And David, in that moment, had mercy. I want to be that kind of a person. David didn't typically seek his own revenge. There's the odd time he did, but they weren't his best moments. So in my times of distress, and I do experience them just like you do, I have to remember those four words. God is my defender. So David asked the Lord to teach him his ways. Then he prays, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. David is resolute that he will not bow down to any other God but the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth. It is not enough for us to say, teach me your way, O Lord. We have to also be willing to say, so that I will walk in your truth. It's one thing to know the ways of God. It's another thing to walk in the ways of God. And that's why David follows it up with, says, give me an undivided heart. I want a pure heart towards you, O oh God, and towards your ways. I want to be different. And here, this is the interesting thing, is you will become like the God you worship. And some people watching this, you know, if you're mean and you're vindictive, then I think that you probably worship a God that is, in your mind, mean and vindictive. I don't see God that way. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, it says in verse 15. At the end of the day, that's the God I worship, and I want to become like that God. Well, then after verse 11, David ends with, he says, I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. Verse 12, verse 13, he says, for great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. He says, you've delivered me from the depths of the grave. David recognizes the love of God, even in the worst of times. David says, you've delivered me from the grave, meaning from death. And David, you know, David did not have the hope of eternal life like we do, like the new heavens, the new earth, the new creation. He didn't, there was no, you know, it's kind of, he just didn't really know. You know, Psalm 27, he says, I know that even in all my troubles, I will still taste the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know, he's, he just, you, if you're going to experience God's goodness, it needs to be in this life because they weren't sure about a life to come, but we know that there's a life to come. And so this is interesting. It's okay, I'm getting near the end. Okay. Romans chapter 8, and, and uh, this is just one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I've got a lot of them. And this will come up on the screen. This is what it says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Hmm. That's a question. Shall trouble or hardship? Hmm. Can that separate you from God's love? From the love of Christ? Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or danger? Or sword? And then he goes on. In verse 37, he says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. In what things? Trouble, 
persecution, hardship, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. He said, in all those things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced, now notice this, the first two, death nor life, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know why death can't separate you? Because even if they kill you, you have a resurrection. There's eternal life. You go on. That, we have a better hope than David knew of. And then, of course, in verse 14, David, you know, reveals the source of his distress. He says, the arrogant, you know, are attacking me, O God. There's a band of ruthless men seeking my life, men without regard to you. But in spite of their attacks, David remains confident in God. How about you? And then in verse 17 at the end, finally, David says, Lord, give me a sign of your goodness. Hmm. Just give me a sign of your goodness to me. So my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. It's not even that he's saying, hurt my enemies. He's really more saying, bless me and restore me so they will see it and they will feel ashamed of their behavior. You know, like somebody once said, the best revenge is to live well. You know, it, so when we're under threat, we must deepen our devotion to God. So I'm going to ask you, and we're just going to close in prayer right now. Father, I just thank you for this psalm that is so honest and really so visceral, it, it, it uh, is something we can relate to in our own lives, Lord, when we're, whether it's persecution and, and other people, or whether it's an illness, or a severe loss, a heartache, whatever it might be, Lord. Uh, to, to be able to turn to you in prayer and say, have mercy on me, O Lord. In the day of my trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. Lord, give us that confidence. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do right now. Would you say, Lord, I will, in the day of trouble, when I am in distress, I will call out to you. I will turn to you first. I will pray first. For you will answer me and you will help me. Would you remind me of that, Lord? Remind me not to complain, but to praise and to be thankful. But the second thing I'm going to ask you to do as we're, as we're still in prayer is would you submit to God? And I mean your whole life is a life of surrender. Would you be willing to say, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. We all have the opportunity this week 
to put this into practice, to pray and to be in submission to our God. So before we close and before the worship team sings a final song of response, would you right now think of some distressing situation that you're in, something right now that's nagging at you, that's plaguing you, that's disturbing your spirit? Maybe it isn't a person. Maybe it is. Maybe it's just something that's giving you grief, that's causing you worry. Would you take a moment right now and name it? Here's what I want you to do. Just say, Lord, right now I am in distress because of, and I want you to name it. Name the situation or the person. Then pray these words of David in Psalm 86. Lord, I am in distress because of this, but in my day of trouble, I'm going to call to you. And then would you deepen your devotion to God by calling out to him and saying, Lord, teach me your way. The way of mercy, the way of compassion. Would you be my defender? In the New Testament, it tells us that Jesus, who called himself a son of David, lived this way, all the way to the cross. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 21, Peter the apostle says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you uh, an example, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Wow. The apostle Peter says, you're called to do that, to follow in his steps, to be that kind of a person like David, like Jesus. And so we're going to sing in closing together a song called I Give You My Heart. And as we sing this, it's a song expressing our devotion to the Lord. And so I invite you to join with us. In Jesus' name, amen.